I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Sally Page. Now, her debut is everywhere. If you've been in a bookshop recently... You'll have probably seen The Keeper of Stories front and centre in the window. We talk about why when she's writing, she's writing. Also, why she started research for this a year before she actually started the writing. And now that she has found success in the book club genre... How does she feel perhaps being tied to it? I was always writing in the book club fiction with the exception of one book, the first book I wrote. But the other books I've written, they're in that book club fiction. I think obviously as you write more, you hope you get better. So you push yourself to to make the stories better. And you learn certain things of, you know, pace, narrative arc, all these things. So you go back and you're trying to fine tune and make your work better. Um, so that definitely is part of the process. Um, but in terms of are they a Sally Page book, I think my books are, you know, they, they are about what I want to write about, which is community, friendship. They will all, I mean, they don't, they don't steer away from dark subjects, but I can absolutely tell you they will always have a happy ending because I am the ultimate optimist. There is more with Sally Page in this week's Writer's Routine. Welcome to the show. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine. Thank you so much for finding us, for sharing, following, for listening, for just spending a moment of your time with us and some of the best authors around. Now, this week's episode is brought to you by Plotter. Plotter is a writing tool. It does what it says on the tin. It plots. It helps you plan your books the way that you think. It lets you outline faster, organise smarter, And it really, really gets to turbocharge your productivity. Now, if you are a very visual writer, if you're someone who likes to see everything you want whenever you want it, if you're someone who likes the post-it notes, the big whiteboards, if you like the spreadsheeting and the pictures on the wall with all the strings coming off it, mind mapping like it might be some form of murder case, well... You would get on very well with Plotter. It's perfect for that. It does it in the most simple way. Now, when you open the software Plotter, you get a digital corkboard. And on there, 
you can plan everything. You can easily swap between the timeline as well, the outlines, your notes. You can stick on the details of your characters and your places. You can even tag them all to make it much easier for you to skim through, much quicker to find what you need. And all of it is colour-coded as well as if it could be in your notebook, but it's always with you on your laptop so you can take it wherever you'd like. It allows you to track the details of your plot at a scene level and switch and swap them as and when you want. And also, here's what I love about Plotter. If you're having trouble kind of moving your ideas into a manageable plot, if you've come up with that first seed of a story, but you just need something to do with it, you're thinking, where can it go? How can I use it? Plotter has more than 30 proven plot templates to help kickstart your story planning, to give you some ideas to snap it into life. And we've spoken on the podcast about many different types of writing software, and this works with all of them. You can import and export from Word and Scrivener to seamlessly transfer your story into some tech that maybe helps you flesh out further and actually write the thing. Potter knows what it does. It helps you do everything you need to do before you start typing and jumping into your story. It helps you strip back into what is important and what you need to focus on. Now, the best way for you to see what it does and how stunning it looks and how helpful it can be is by getting over to plotter.com and taking a look around. You can see exactly what it can do for your writing day. And while you're there, you can get 10% off the software with this show, which means that for under £20, it's $22.50, it's about... 18 quid you can get access to this software forever to help you plan and plot your story to make you organize smarter and outline faster it is a tool that can help transform the way that you start your story i'm so pleased that they're supporting the show for a little while to get the deal 10 percent off uh, use the link that is in the episode notes of this show it's go.plotter.com routine that's go dot plotter spelled p-l-o-t-t-r dot com forward slash routine and you can get yourself 10% off let's get into it then with Sally Page her debut is the keeper of stories it's all about Janice who normally hears other people's stories she isn't too keen on telling her own though until she meets Mrs B the mysterious lady that she works for who draws it all out of her. Now, this is book club fiction. We talk about that, the success that comes with finding a market who reads together. Sally has done a lot. She's worked in a flower shop. She's even started her own fountain pen company. And all of that has played a part in the writer that she's become today. She hopes that she can live out forever writing stories we talk about the tactility of writing with pens we talk about being signed to an agent and how getting published is brilliant because it means that you're not doing it on your own anymore also why the old work that she's done has really helped the pressure going forward you can hear about her writing family her daughter is libby page who has worked on the lido the vintage shop of second chances she's published those i wonder what conversations around the dinner table are like in the page home you can find out more about that and we talk about how surprised she's been by the support of twitter now i'll say before we jump into it there is a slight echo in this i I think i remember there was a slight delay in my headphones when we were chatting So I was hearing myself, it was a bit Inception really, which is at times why I sound a little bit muddled, more muddled than usual, and I speak slightly robotically, getting very quickly then slowing down. Just pay attention to that, or don't pay attention to it. Make a note of it, that's why it happens. Let's get into it with Sally Page, and we kick things off as we always do with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. 
Right. I'm in my office. On one wall, I've got a whole panel of um, hand-painted flowers. Uh, I have a background as a florist and I've written books about flowers. And then on the shelves above that are lots and lots of flower books, which make me very happy to look at them. Um, Then looking out of my window, I'm looking over a river and a playground. At my on my desk, I've got a mass of stuff, including about oh fourteen fountain pens, because I also run a business um, selling fountain pens. So I've got them in all sorts of colours, from duck egg blue to aubergine to lime green. Um, and then to my left, I can see paintings on my wall in and on a little easel. A painting that I did. I went on an oil painting course, and it's a copy of a Cezanne painting which is obviously it's not going to be sold as a sand but it was a it was a you know attempt to try oils I've I have painted in them before but I wanted to get some proper instruction then I've got a a rail which has got lots of um, wrapping papers hanging from it and I'm very proud to say next to it is my silver bestseller award from Nielsen when we sold over 250,000 books I, I, I'm always fascinated by those signs around you, like the silver mm. um, certificate, the silver mm. that shows that you've done it before. Why is it important for you to have it there? Is, is there ever a moment where you're, you're finding the going a little bit tough and you can turn to that and remind yourself that you've done this and it went quite well? No, I've, um, if anything, I'm sort of... It's just a joy. I just look at it and go, I can't believe that many people have bought my book. Um, and I just love writing. So uh, if anything, it reassures me that hopefully that's, this is what I can do for my living from now on. Quite a lot of stuff around you that's inspirational with your own painting, the Suzanne or the Sue Sal. Maybe, maybe you mm. could sell it as that. What about um, anything practical around you? Uh, plot points, post-it notes, maybe a whiteboard that tells you where you're going? Um, no, because when I do that, I would be sitting at my dining room table, I think, with lots of paper um, set out in front of me. I do have a um, bottle of ink, which on the front of it is etched, stories yet to be written. So that's kind of a bit of inspiration for me. Um, but yes, if I'm going to start plotting, I have, a, have to have a bigger table. I'm quite fascinated by the the fountain pen company. So this is Plume's Pen. Yes. Um, I speak to a lot of authors doing this show, and most of them type onto a keyboard, use their laptop. What what is it about the tactility of writing with pens, getting words down on a page in quite an old school style, that really inspires you? Well, I think um, I mean I sh- shouldn't give you the idea that I handwrite my novels. I touch type, and um, that's one of the best things I ever learned to do. So um, I did it when my daughters were growing up and trying to convince them to try. And my youngest daughter Libby, who I always knew was going to be a writer, I mean, she was the one who struggled with it. And so I said to her, "Well, look, if you do it, I'll do it." Um, and it's the best thing I've ever done because it releases your brain as you're typing, you know, your your words. But when it comes to planning and note taking, I do write, not always with a fountain pen, but I do love fountain pens, pencils. And I once read that you're three times more likely to remember something you've handwritten than you've typed. Um, so certainly when it comes to notes and thoughts, I would always be handwriting those. 
Do you find that it changes almost what you write? Are you a bit more thoughtful, a bit more uh, planned out with what you're writing with a fountain pen? Because it, it's, it takes a bit longer time. The ink is quite precious to you. It's not as easy as being just touch typing away and then to be able to delete what you've said. Yes, I think when I get my fountain pen out, it's considered and you write more slowly. And so um, certainly when I'm thinking of ideas, um, just more considered writing and planning, then I do like to write with fountain pen. You mentioned the planning that you do do normally when you're down on the kitchen table. Uh, what form does that take around you? Is is it notepads filled with uh, scrawlings that maybe I wouldn't understand, but you would immediately get? Do you have uh, like a like a pro uh, a plan of where your story is going? Um, yes, I am a planner. I'm sure you've met lots of um, writers. I've spoken to lots of writers. Some who are more instinctive. The story comes as they write, um, and others who are more planners. Um, I'm a planner who the story will evolve as I then start to write it, but I start with the planning. And that will involve big sheets of paper so that I've got the space to more do like spider um, diagrams of things that are going on. I will also then have a notebook which is dedicated to that book. And then I'll have a little notebook, which is kind of my thoughts that come to you perhaps in the middle of the night where you wake up and you go... They wouldn't say that. Of course they wouldn't say that. And that's when I scribble those notes down. And uh, as I hinted, if I were to pick up one of your notebooks, would I understand what you're talking about? Or Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Sometimes when I go back to them, I don't understand them either. I look at it and think, what does on earth does I mean by that? Those, those middle of the night ideas uh, oh. are always very, they can be amazing or can, they can be absolutely awful, don't you find? Yes, but I do think that you solve problems in your sleep. So very often something that's just been niggling me about a story, I will wake up and go, that's the way to deal with that. So I great believer in sleep solving problems. And then it's very important to have a, a, a notepad by your bed or I might put it into my phone, but I do prefer to write it. Just plonking you back once more in the space where you write, you mentioned that you touch type. Um, yeah. Have you got like a sturdy desk? Have you got a nice chair? Just talk us through that method of where yes. you write. Um, I've got, uh, um, you know, proper office chair. I've got a sort of just a, uh, a wooden desk. Um, and But to be honest, I'll touch type anywhere when I'm actually writing a book. It might be in bed. It might be at my office. I might go out to a cafe. Um, I might go to the pub. Um, I find it helps to change the space where I am um, so I'll, I'll do quite a bit of planning and admin in my office but then it'll be all around the house that I will actually write the book. Why do you find changing a space helps you? I don't know, it's a good question I I get a sense of um, it's like not being quite comfortable in your skin where you're sitting and thinking I was sort of asking myself, now, where do I need to be? And it might be, I need to get out the house. I need to be sat in a garden or I need to go to a cafe. Um, and I get, it's a definite pull to the environment I need to be in to write. Just one more question about the fountain pen company. I don't, I don't want um, 
you know, my new breakdowns of your business. But I'm curious, uh, your love of uh, fountain pens and something tactile that makes you write considered as you've spoken about, have you found that that that's something sh- commonly shared by other writers? Have you found that other authors that you speak to, other creative types that are quite keen for something like that? Um, some some do, definitely. Um, uh, I think it's Katie Ford who has a stationary range. I think, you know, a love of stationery often goes with a love of books. So, yes, I've come across that. But fountain pens is a very particular thing. Um, but when you find fountain pen lovers, it's really nice. You kind <laughs> of, it's like a club you're in on. <laughs> when I'm actually in a writing phase, um, I'm an obsessive. So I write quickly. So I wrote The Keeper of, I, well, it took me a year to research The Keeper of Stories um, because I was collecting proper real stories that were part of what Janice, my main character, was collecting as the keeper of stories. But when I write, I write fast. So I wrote that in three months. I don't do anything but write when I'm writing. I get up, I write. I sit in bed and write. I wake up in the middle of the night and I write. And so it's a very intense uh, experience, which I really like. But I am... And it can, as I say, it could be anywhere. I could be writing at my desk or kitchen table or in a, a cafe. Um, but, you know, that's, it just has to work for me. And it's all I can think about. Is there any construction around that quite furious, uh, frantic stage of writing? You say that you, you, you're always, always getting words down. Are you trying to organize your day to give yourself some breaks do you write in like uh three hour stretches are you working to a word count how, do, how does that work um not really a word count i just write and that but there comes a point where you just get tired so it even if i work right in the middle of the night i sort of allow my body to tell me when to stop in the sense of i might wake up at three o'clock in the morning and i might write for two hours um, and I don't worry about it because I know that, well, I can catch up on sleep later on. Or um, if I get a really good splurge during the day, come four o'clock, I might then go, actually, you know, I, I've ha- had enough now. Um, and certainly if I if I struggle with a, a thought and what my characters are going to do, I often go for a walk. And then I talk to myself as I walk about, you know, what they would do, what they would say. Why is it like this? It, it, simply because you've got so much on that you have to cram your writing into three-month frantic stretches? Not really. I think I'm just an obsessive. <laughs> it's just like when it takes me, it takes me, and I really want to write. And um, I just and I miss it when I'm not doing it. So at the moment, I've just done a lot of editing of book two, and. Um, I will have line edits to do now on that in a few few weeks' time. But I know I'm going to have to write something else. I need, I'll need i need something to, to sort of get my teeth into. Um, but it's lovely. It's not, a, it's not a horrible thing. But I sort of have given in to realising that I am like this and that's the way that I write. Is that obsession, is it ordered throughout the year? If you know that, I, I I don't know what situation you're in, but the Keeper of Stories did very, very well. You mentioned you're doing edits on book two. I imagine you might have to start writing book three soon. Will there be, are you kind of looking through a calendar year thinking, okay, I'm going to 
be absolutely obsessive about my writing no, this quarter. No. Do you think uh, it come to you? How does it work? Well, I think um, the joy of having take, it taken so long to get uh, an agent and then a publisher is I've got an awful lot of stuff written, so I've always worked like this, but obviously had to you know, work it around my fountain pen business, other work that I've done. Um, so I, I actually, Harper Fiction have bought two books I've already written. They obviously are going to need quite a lot of editing, but I've also got another book written. So my idea is that I'm, I want to always be working on something without the pressure of... Um, my publisher saying could you write another book in the next year i want to have gone no i've it's written and i'll move on to the next one so it takes the pressure off me i mean it is just one of the advantages of not being picked up by anybody how have you found the process of jumping back into books that you might have written a few years ago and and have to pick up the threads and and re-edit them now they've been sold good in that you know I always like my characters so to spend time with my characters is uh, for me is really enjoyable um, and it's like visiting old friends in terms of being pushed to make them better um, there's always the initial thing of where you resist and it only it, you with me it usually only lasts about a day I go well I quite like it the way it is and then I think about it I sleep on it and 90% of the time I go, you know what, that is a good idea. I do need to evolve this part of the story or dig deeper on a particular aspect. Um, but, I, but I like to bring the solutions to my publisher to say, this is how I think I'm going to tackle it and then then tackle it. Um, so it's really lovely, lovely to go back to the, to the old books. How do you think friends and family find you during a particularly uh, obsessive moment of writing are, are, are you you know are you are you a, a good mum are you a, are you, yeah are you I good mates yeah my friends are um are very understanding as are my daughters I mean my daughters are you know grown up they're in their early 30s so uh, they no longer live with me which I'm they're probably very glad about but they've always known I'm obsessive that you know hopefully not in an awful way I mean I'm not sort of I just make myself sound really strange but um they know I'm very driven but then so are they um so they get it and um they laugh at me of course and I don't mind but it isn't like I live my life like this it's just when I'm actually in the writing bit I, I do love that part of it even though you love it it must be quite taxing on yourself you mentioned getting exhausted earlier on so you do have to put it down do you, how, how do you find the um the general effects of three months furious writing is there anything negative about it at all for you yeah i mean yes you do get tired and you get to a point where um you are glad to see the end in sight you definitely very definitely although writing the end of the book is also is always really satisfying because you've woven it to that point where you actually want to give an answer clarify a lot bring it to a close but sometimes when you went obviously when you finish it I'm then like thank goodness for that and I'm going to go and do something completely frivolous and you know I don't want to write I don't want to look at my laptop for a long time it's interesting talking to you about this 
when you're not necessarily writing something new right now because you're adapting what what you've done. But mm. how much time do you give yourself to have an idea and then start writing it? Or be, because you've mentioned how much you love storytelling, you love writing, do you give yourself any time? As soon as you have that initial idea, is it, bam, let, let's get to it, let's see what happens? No, I mean, I store them up. I've got, um, I think, I think I was always somebody who did collect stories, but I think now I'm very much on the lookout for ideas or not even on the lookout. It's when you see it, when you come across something, you think that's a great phrase or that's a great, that's an idea as a start for a story. So I have lots of notebooks on, on the go with those where I jot those things down. But the reality is I can't launch myself into writing them um, until I've worked through with my publisher and my agent what the next step should be. Um, but as I say, I am getting to the stage where I definitely uh, are gonna need, I'm going to need something else to write. That must be interesting. It, but you've mentioned that it, it took you a little while to get representation and to get your books mm. published. So, you know, for the last few years, however long it's been, you, you were writing books completely autonomously you didn't have to run through an idea you didn't have to run an, an idea by anyone you didn't need any help or advice or a green light to write it but now you do how has this change been um, not immediately being able to dive in and start writing anything oh my goodness it's just fantastic because the um what i've described to you before that i think i started writing creatively in 2016 you know, I did three or four years of writing in isolation. And anybody who listens to this who is a would-be, you know, author, oh my goodness, you know what that is like. That's constant rejections from the agents you approach. And then ultimately, when I had an agent, a lot of rejections from publishers. And um, to suddenly be able to work with somebody that you respect, I very much respect my, I'm represented by, uh, Tanner Simons from Dahlia Anderson and you know having that somebody who is as interested in your books as you are is just fantastic and who is knowledgeable so um, the process now is just fantastic and now you know I've got publishers and editors and marketing people who are interested in my work I mean it's just a joy compared to writing in isolation and dealing with rejection in isolation. Well, I was sent an email fairly recently by, uh, 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 you know, an aspiring writer or someone that is writing mm -hmm. that hasn't been picked up yet, having trouble with, I guess, the confidence to keep going. Mm -hmm. When you when you are faced with a lot of rejection, even before you have an agent, how did you keep going? How did you keep finding the confidence in, and really belief in your hard. work when everyone it's is saying, well, it might not be good enough? It's really hard and you obviously have slumps where you feel awful. You feel really awful. It's so personal. You feel it, you take it personally. And so often you don't ever hear from people. You do all the things that they say and send it in and you never get a response. And it is heartbreaking and you have to just pick yourself up. But you have to give yourself time to feel miserable, I think, and feel really grim and then you know just to keep I would say to any authors out there just keep going because it takes one person the keeper of story was, was only bought by one editor that was the only offer we had 
And she is very smug now. <laughs> it's like the biggest debut at HarperCollins. I mean, she is. And she was in a, a very small part of HarperCollins. One more chapter is their digital first arm. And she, Charlotte Ledger runs a small team. And I just think she must be so pleased with herself. <laughs> and I'm obviously very pleased with Charlotte. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. More with Sally Page in just a second. Once again, thank you to Plotter. They are supporting the show this week. It's the software that helps you plan books in the way that you think in the simplest possible way. You can get 10% off Plotter. Use the link that's in the episode notes and you can get to go.plotter.com. That's P-L-O-T-T-R.com forward slash routine. It's not the only way that you can support the show. If you like what we do, if you enjoy hearing some of the best authors around as often as possible, you can always help us carry on doing that by backing the show over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. For that, for just a couple of dollars a month, wherever you can sling our way, you get merch, there is bonus content, there is even a way for your book to sponsor the show as well. And I know that times are really tight and this isn't something that you always factor in. So I really appreciate anything that you can chuck towards me just to help us carry on bringing you these episodes as often as we can with some of the best authors around. And we've got a lot of those coming up, by the way. To get involved with that community online to help support the show, it's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. We'll be back with Sally in just a sec. Over the last few weeks, well, since the start of the year, uh, I've been putting together a list of book recommendations the best books that you have read so far in 2023. They don't have to have been published this year, just something that you've read that you couldn't put down. I'd love to hear it. Then we can use the hive mind of this writing community to uh, make all our to-be-read piles just a little bit higher. You can send yours over at writersroutine.com. Uh, a very quick one before we get back into the show. Sarah Kelleher has got in touch. She recommends Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton, who we had on in the podcast, actually. I interviewed Trent... I, I, maybe it was a, I think it was like 2019, I think we chatted, or it might have been a few months before we were into lockdown, it was 2019, 2020, go back and listen, Trent was a fantastic guest, Sarah says, 
Uh, it's all about a young Australian growing up around criminals. It's absolutely worth the hype. It was the ABIA book of the year, Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton. And if you missed that chat, make sure you catch up from a few years ago in your podcast feed. I'd love to hear the best book that you've read this year. Send it over to our book recommendations list that we've got on the website. That's where you send it in to use the contact form at writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back into it then with Sally Page. Her debut is The Keeper of Stories. It's all about Janice, who normally hears other people's tales, isn't too keen on telling her own until she meets Mrs. B, the strange, mysterious, mercurial lady that she works for, who tries to draw it out of her. In this part, we talk about the conversation at a book launch that Sally had with someone very surprising, which gave her the idea for the book. Also, the research that she started a year before writing. And we get back into it with the moment that she realised that the book was doing well. I mean, that took a while. I think when it was launched, it very quickly rose up, you know, the charts on Amazon. And that was... You know, because they're digital first, they obviously they create a paperback as well, but um, they are very knowledgeable about how to market on uh, the digital platforms. And so I thought that's a real show of their, their expertise, but also uh, the work they'd done beforehand in getting out to bloggers and things like that. And then it stayed there. And that's what I couldn't believe. I don't think anybody can still believe it's staying there. And that was driven by reader's word of mouth, which, of course, I'm, um, you know, just delighted by. Because whilst, you know, uh, one more chapter used huge expertise to get me out into the market, it was very small budget. I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of hype behind me. Um, So it's grown and stayed there through word of mouth, which is as an author who's been rejected by lots and lots of lots and lots of times is such a uh, it just makes you feel amazing it's changed things out of all proportion i mean it means that this is you know what i can do for hopefully a long time to come and you know i have uh, worked in many different roles self employed i've brought up my daughters on my own um i there hasn't been many times in my life when I haven't been worried about, you know, money and paying the mortgage. And and now I can gen- generally and hopefully look at the future and think I can earn my living writing. And that's just an amazing feeling. How much has the nature of its success and where it was successful changed how you're working on books that you had written a few years ago we mentioned that you're now editing those as new books the fact that I, I, it's almost book club fiction you know without mm. absolutely hammering it into a genre but now people who pick up a Sally Page book might expect certain things which perhaps books that you had written five years ago don't have how much are you keeping that in mind when you are going over books that you've written before I think um I was always writing in the book club fiction with the exception of one book, the first book I wrote, but the other books I've written, they're in that book club fiction. I think obviously as you write more, you hope you get better. So you push yourself to to make the stories better and you learn certain things of, you know, pace, narrative arc, all these things. So you go back and you're trying to fine tune and make your work better. Um, so that definitely is part of the process. Um, 
But in terms of are they a Sally Page book, I think my books are, you know, they, they are about what I want to write about, which is community, friendship. They will all, I mean, they don't, they don't steer away from dark subjects, but I can absolutely tell you they will always have a happy ending because I am the ultimate optimist. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fantastic. You talked about learning things. How, mm. act, how actively does that happen? Because although you've sold many books, you're, just, you're, you're publishing your second this year, so you're only two books down. Um, mm. how, how are you learning all of this? I, I read a lot of other work, you know, you read other authors and you go, you know, you, you look in awe at how they achieve things. And it's not like, it's not, you wouldn't be copying their work, but you go, okay, so they manage this time change within the novel like this, or this is how they used a certain way of describing things. And you go, you just want to get better and better at um, what you do. So... Yes, you look around you at, at other writers. I, I just want to ask you one question about your daughter. So Libby Page is a, a very successful author in her own right. Mm. And you said you're the ultimate optimist. When you go onto Libby's website, she defines mm. herself in three ways, writer, swimmer, optimist. So you've managed to pass that down. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's that like? What's family conversation like over the Christmas dinner table uh, the, the rest of your other daughter is annoyed because you and Libby are constantly chatting books again? No, not at all. I mean, she's my, my eldest daughter, Alex, is studying to be a doctor, so we're in awe of her. Um, but um, there are times when Libby and I are together, just the two of us, and we, we will certainly talk about books. We'll talk about, you know, um, how we work with publishers, what's the next step, Um Libby's just launched her fourth book, um, uh, The Vintage Shop of Second Chances. And that was just a joy to see her, you know, this young, you know, still a young woman, she's 30, on her fourth book with Orion. And I'm just so proud of her. And, you know, she was always, it, it's, it's funny that I'm writing because she was always the writer in our family. She was the one who was even when she was little she wrote and wrote and wrote and uh, I, I never doubted she would be an author I'm just surprised that I am <laughs> well, it's much like any industry authors are competitive with each other so it must be really fantastic to know very closely another author and not have any feelings of competition at all but just be so proud that something you would always thought might happen has happened and she's lived up to that dream that I guess you both had Yes, I mean, it, she got her book deal, I think it was 2018, so she's um, been at it for much longer than I. But to be honest, I found the book community incredibly supportive. I'd always been on Instagram and, you know, now I, I use that, but I went onto Twitter expecting to have a horrible time because everybody said Twitter it can be brutal. But actually, it, Twitter's very much about the book community and authors support you. I mean, uh, we support each other. If someone's having a bad day or um, somebody's got a new book coming out and, you know, people like Hazel Pryor, Fida um, Patrick, Katie Ford, these are women who've been amazingly supportive of me as a debut novelist. And I've found a lot of kindness and support within the book industry. Uh, just going back to your work day, you mentioned frivolous things when you've mm. <laughs> to come down from the 
obsessive writing in your own words. Uh, what, what have you found is the ultimate tonic for you? What, what absolutely clears the cobwebs of, of writing from your brain when you need something else to do? I mean, I do like walking, but I do like going away to a nice hotel, I have to say. <laughs> and, you know, I think going somewhere special and having a nice meal and, you know, some wine. And if you can stay overnight, that makes me very happy. Yeah, so that would be my ultimate, you know, when I've finished writing or I need a break um, or sometimes even researching things. Um, the Keeper of uh, Stories is set in Cambridge. My American publisher likes it when I do videos. So I've, you know, I, I, I say I have to, but I, I am planning a trip to Cambridge because I need to do some video footage for them, um, for their publicity. But that's a joy, isn't it? Someone saying, "Oh, could you go to Cambridge and <laughs> hang around there and chat about your books a bit?" I mean, it's lovely. And write off a tax as well. It's always very handy. Exactly. Uh, on the opposite side of that, when you are getting back into a, a novel, when you're getting into that obsession stage again, mm. it, what do you have to do to to Kind of click the cogs back into gear. I spoke to some writers who like uh, tokens or just things around them. It can be as simple as a candle that just lets their brain know, okay, this is what I'm doing. Do you need anything like that or are you perfectly fine just plonking yourself in the chair and writing again? So interesting. I I can imagine that would work. I I don't, but I do have to set the scene. So... Um, which will usually be the the dining room table. It will be the spreading out of papers, and um, it's not it's not really into that frantic writing stage. It's like spread everything out, and you know I I draw and I plan and I scribble, and it's I think that's my getting back into it. Firstly, I had always throughout my life come to realise everybody does have a story to tell. And so I did have this idea of what if somebody doesn't think they have a story or not one they're prepared to share? Could they become a collector of other people's stories? So I definitely had that idea because I thought that's quite interesting about what would they collect? Why would they collect it? What would they be needing out of those stories? But I didn't have a character in mind until I watched the Oscar, uh, Olivia Colman's Oscar acceptance speech. And she's there talking about when she was a young hopeful, how she used to be a cleaner. And she used to stand in other people's bathrooms with the toilet cleaner as if it was a, an Oscar statue. And I was thinking, I wonder if somebody else were watching this who is still a cleaner, who whose life perhaps hasn't taken off or gone in the direction that they wanted to and what they would be thinking. So I then had my character, because also as a cleaner, you would go into all sorts of people's houses and form all sorts of different relationships. So it was the coming together of the, you know, everyone has a story to tell and a main character. And that's what, you know, once I'd got that, I was off. You say you're off, what does that mean? So with your fountain pens, with your notebooks, when you're planning, what questions are you asking? What, what are you doing to plan out this novel? Well, to start with, I collected stories. I spent a year collecting other people's stories. I asked friends, acquaintances, family. I was saying, have you ever met somebody where you're chatting away to them and they suddenly tell you something where you go, I wasn't expecting that. And um, I just love that. I mean, to give you just a very simple example, I was doing a, a talk at Wareham Library. It was made very welcome by friends of Wareham Library. 
and uh, there was a young woman who was, um, and this is my, this shows you should never judge a book by a cover. I had, she looked like, she, I guess she reminded me of my daughters. I was thinking, oh, yes, younger woman. I wonder if she's got children. And she was a volunteer at the library. When I got chatting to her, she volunteered for their events. I said, oh, what do you do? And she said, I'm currently taking out the core of the nuclear reactor at the decommissioned nuclear station near here. I'm an engineer. And I just, it made me laugh. I went, everyone has a story to tell. And also, I was cross with myself because I'd made assumptions. But I just thought it's it. There are so many stories. So, in the keeper of stories, the book, the stories that Janice collects are pr- primarily are based on truth. When you've got these reams of stories that you've taken a year to compile, how are you going about fixing that into any form of? kind of coherent narrative because they must have so much that it must be very tricky to simply know where to start with all of these i think i wanted to um, there were things i wanted to say so there were things i wanted to say about you know is it one story is it about one precious moment in your life can you have a number of stories so there were questions about the stories in our life i wanted to to sort of explore so they became pointers through the book and then obviously Janice has her own story and some of her characters and so that there is actually you know there is a plot going on alongside that so I'm kind of weaving that and also because I uh, my background is I yeah many many years ago my degree is in history I always want to write contemporary novels but that have a historical thread in through them so there is a historical story that runs through it which is when Janice meets this very tricksy character, Mrs. B, who's in her 90s, it is Mrs. B who wants to find out Janice's story. She's the first person to say, well, what's your story? And because Janice kind of doesn't want to give anything away, Mrs. B uses a story to keep Janice coming back to her. So rather like Scheherazade in um, Arabian Nights, where she tells a bit of a story, a story, and it makes Janice keep coming back to see Mrs. B. And so there, there is that thread going through it as well. And you have to come up with Janice's story. Mm. Very, very simply, this has to be a, a driver of the plot. So you, mm. you need to make it a good one. Uh, mm. What questions are you asking yourself about who Janice is? How did she become fleshed out as a character enough for you to uncover things about her? I think she evolved as the book went on. I knew... Um, I, I obviously I knew what her story was, so it was how to um, create that that narrative path. How is what is she going to go through to ultimately reveal her story, and then resolve the stuff that comes out, out as a result of that? Um, so that did evolve as the as the book went on, as I'm writing it, and things changed as as I went along. Uh, it's kind of a, a mixture, I think, of um, planning and sort of intuition and, you know, working on the hoof, really. When you had found an agent and then an, uh, a publisher, what were you working with your editor on this novel about? What were they doing? How were they changing things? Well, with this um, novel, um, 
they change very little. They there were very few structural edits. Um, that's not the case with my second novel, but with the first one, I was let off very lightly. They really liked it as it was, with just a few question marks. And then obviously we went straight. We went into line edits. Um, with my next book, it had a lot more structural changes, but uh, you know, ultimately, it did make it a better book. She says, hopefully. <laughs> Uh, and how much were you thinking about genre? We spoke about this earlier, about book club fiction, that you don't necessarily know that this that's where this is going to land. How much were you thinking about, I guess, the the commerciality, if that's a word, where this would be placed? Yeah, no, I, I very much was thinking about that. My background is in marketing and, you know, I understand it's a product. So very much I was thinking about um, that... I hoped it would be, I, w- I was aiming for, I guess, something that, that is commercially viable, but hopefully is also well-written. Um, and it's obviously trying to get that combination. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, I was writing what I could write as much as I hoped it f- ticked those boxes. You can only write what you can write, I think. You spoke earlier about your optimism you like to finish a novel on a happy ending how naturally does that normally fit with what you are writing sometimes does it ever feel like you do need to slightly change things to make things have a happier climax oh no the happy ending is always easy to find it's that that's never a problem i think the um bringing out some of the darker sides that is more difficult but you still want to do it you have to sort of that's the bit that I find harder because it's more revealing about what you've experienced or um, just that it's you know you have to dig into your emotions I was on the train the other day uh, writing and I was crying and I (laughs) see the woman opposite me looking at me and I wanted her to I couldn't say I'm okay I wanted her to ask me you know are you okay because then I could go I'm actually writing a book it's all right but I didn't know how to have that conversation and I could see she's looking concerned but in a way if it's making me cry I figure I am tapping into something that hopefully is is true and hopefully that will other readers might uh, you know be touched by it if that darker aspect doesn't necessarily come naturally you do find that a bit tougher how have you made it easier for you how have you got better what questions are you asking while you're writing to draw out some of the darkness i think that it's not that it's you know it's not like i'm a completely optimistic person i live in the real world i've seen you know enough sadness and tragedy in my life i'm 61 now so i it's not that I am, I am an optimist, of course, but I'm not somebody who's naive. So I can access that. It's actually just more difficult because often it's, it's more personal, showing that darker, all the, all the grief you might experience. It might not be that you're writing about something that you personally have experienced, but you tap into the emotions you have felt on other occasions to get at that stuff. We spoke about the success that you've had with the first book and how that has changed things for you. What have you learned from this process that might change the way you go into your second book and then future novels? Um, I think that I would always talk to my um, agent and publisher 
uh, first before embarking in on a completely new book because ultimately it's a product. So now I've got this wonderful team. I would always take their their talk to them first because um, you know that it's a privilege to be working with them and also to have that degree of guidance. And obviously, then you hope that they they will be able to sell your book, you know, to more people. Uh, last question, which sounds like one of those blowing smoke questions, so I apologise uh, for my fawning. But um, you seem to have done quite a lot and it's varied and did the history degree, then you opened the flower shop and then you got the fountain pen company and now you're a successful author. Um, I guess, where does that drive come from? So many people find one lane of one thing to do and they do that forever. Where does your um, drive of curiosity and doing different things, where do you think that comes from? I guess it probably comes from my dad, if I think back. Um, I have always been sort of, um, well... One, I'm very interested in things, so things get my imagination going and I want to do them. But my father was, um, you know, he was a working class boy from Hackney and he became the chief constable of Northamptonshire. And that was in the days where, you know, it, only colonels and people like that, the landed gentry, became chief constables. And my dad, I think at one stage, was the youngest chief constable in the country that's you know working class boy from Hackney that is pretty impressive and he is a man who is driven I mean he's 95 now uh, but you know I think maybe there's something in the genes Thank you so much to Sally Page for coming on the show. You can pick up a copy of that book The Keeper of Stories right now if you walk into any bookshop preferably the one locally down your road that that one that's independent you know yeah go in there you'll find the keeper of stories front and center i would imagine next week we are chatting to eva rice author of the lost art of keeping secrets she is back with a new one after a few years away it's called this could be everything you can hear the story behind that story next week with eva on the podcast in the meantime if you would like to turbocharge your plotting and planning get involved with the software plotter They are supporting the show for the next few months. You can get 10% off the program. Get to go.plotter.com forward slash routine. Make it easy. Use the link that is in the episode notes wherever you're listening. You could spot us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash writers routine and get in touch with the show with your book recommendation for the 2023 at writersroutine.com. And I will see you next week with Eva Rice on the show. Until then, bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.